in April 2022, I was invited to give a talk at Temple Patrick Reformed Church. The talk was entitled The Gender Agenda, Gender Confusion, Transgenderism and the Christian Response. In this special episode of The Prism, I have published the original live recording of the talk with the permission of the church. So have a listen. And if you'd like to make a comment or a criticism, just follow the link in the episode notes to find this episode's webpage. And there's a reply section at the bottom of the page. So here's the talk. Welcome to The Prism. This is the place where modern worldviews, events and ideas come under biblical scrutiny. Matthew 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful? for a man to put away his wife for every cause. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall twain, and they twain shall be one flesh. Therefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Mm. Our topic is the gender agenda. And that passage is extremely relevant to that. What is transgenderism? Well, just a couple of decades ago, very few people would have heard the word I never might know what it meant. I almost had a, a notion tonight we might start with a quiz. But then I discovered that the quiz would actually only have one question. And it would be too hard for you to answer. Because none of you tonight are, I'm sure, none of you are biologists, are you? Well, you know what I'm getting at. The question in question is, what is a woman? Seems to stump most people these days. Really, it is a big question. In the USA, uh, Katanji Jackson was just recently nominated by the President for the United States Supreme Court, the very highest court in the land. And she was asked by a senator during her confirmation um, hearings, she was asked by Senator Marsha Blackburn, can you provide a definition for the word woman? And the uh, nominee for the Supreme Court, a senior judge, replied, no, I can't. So she was pushed on it. Why can she not tell what a woman is? And her answer was, I'm not a biologist. Well, you see, the thing is, 
I've been married to one for over 40 years. I can tell you what a woman is, all right. I don't need to be a biologist. And yet today in this very country in the United Kingdom, right today on LBC Radio on Friday the 8th of April 2022, the Right Honourable Emily Thornbury MP, the Shadow Attorney General for England and Wales, was asked by Nick Ferrari, what is a woman? In fact, she was asked, I had to be delicate here. She was asked, would a woman have a male body part, if you know what I'm talking about? And her answer was, yes, some women will. This is the Shadow Attorney General for England and Wales. So you can see this is a difficult subject. I, I've been working at this for a month, looking and researching, and that set of notes outside in the foyer has a whole link of a whole list of web links that you can look up to check up on what I'm saying to you. And I, I found it such a huge subject that in fact I was still working at it at 6 o'clock this evening. In fact, there's my notes. I, I started to change the notes and realised it was pointless and I decided just to update it on an iPad. I'm going to try and talk to you off an iPad. I've never done that before. To be transgender, I think, in the simplest possible definition, is to cross over from being a man to being a woman or being a woman to being a man if such a thing were even possible. But as we will see as we go on, it's far more than that. There's a whole ideology, a whole philosophy, in fact, a dangerous religious ideology underlying this. Transgenderism really hit its peak, its zenith, in 2015. 2015 was an interesting year. That year... Glamour magazine named someone called Caitlyn Jenner as their or one of their 2015 Women of the Year for her work as a trans champion. She was up to that point, of course, Bruce Jenner. She was a male American decathlete who won a gold medal at the 1976 Olympic Games in Montreal. And 2015 became the most prominent athlete to publicly declare himself as being a woman. And the publicity around that event and around that person propelled transgenderism into the media spotlight. And right now it's in your face. And it's not going to go away. And as Christians, we need to get a biblical perspective and give a Christian response. In his book, God and the Transgender Debate, published by the Good Book Company, Andrew T. Walker gives biblical principles to help us respond in a Christian manner. And I've relied heavily upon that book and his work when I'm researching for this. Walker sets the tone of the debate when he writes, There has rarely been a time in history when mankind has displayed such an open and wanton rebellion against God's right to rule 
over humanity than in the modern transsexual movement. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at it from several different angles. We're going to look at the modern ethical dilemma that we're facing. Then even though I'm not a biologist, we're going to look at science and transgenderism. And then we're going to try and get to the biblical teaching on transgenderism. And we want to witness, to learn how to speak and relate to transgender people. And finally, we want to ask a very important question, can I be transgender and be a Christian? Let's think about the modern ethical dilemma. Am I a man or a woman? How am I feeling today? Am I feeling like a man or am I feeling like a woman? That's a classic form of dualism, isn't it? As we'll see, it's a kind of Gnosticism, the pitting of feelings against reality with feelings taking the dominant role. It really is mind over matter. It really is a mystical, transcendental experience, seeking to find some satisfaction in its outworking in the mutilation of the flesh, the supreme surrender to worship of the ego, the self. It's a philosophy that's pagan. And yet nowadays there's a whole political movement, a whole pressure group of people who are promoting transgenderism. In their definition, it's the notion that there's a difference between your biological sex and your perceived gender. You can be, they think, born as a man and believe you're a woman or be born as a woman and believe you're a man or you can simply be confused or you can be gender fluid. Now think of the ethical dilemmas that that throws up. Men using women's toilets because they identify as a woman. I I refuse to use the American term bathroom. A bathroom has a bath in it. How many women would feel comfortable going into the toilet, public toilet, and using the facilities, knowing that some bloke in a skirt is standing right next to you? In an extreme case, a male prisoner who identified as a woman, seemingly, was moved into a woman's prison where he stroke she sexually assaulted a number of women prisoners. Men dressed or identifying as women, competing in women's sports, and that's really topical at this moment in time. And of course, winning medals, making women's sports a complete farce. Recently in America, the winner of a woman's college-level swimming contest was a man called Liam, who now refers to himself as Leah. He's a good foot taller than anyone else competing in that race. He's muscular, he's built like a man, and he's winning by miles. He was competing as a man up until a short time ago. Males claiming to be females, taking part in female athletics, and sex change operations paid for by the National Health. 
operations that inquire, require inflicting wounds, some of which actually never heal. And ridiculous situations that you read about in some of the red top papers, like when a man becomes, a woman becomes a man and sets up home with a man who has become a woman and they say to have children and the so-called father becomes pregnant and when he goes in, she, he goes into hospital, demands that the hospital staff refer to her as the father and tampons put in men's toilets and abortion rights for biological males. And parents who don't have babies, but have babies who won't assign any sex to their child and dress boys in dresses and girls in boys' clothes and the ridiculous notion that they can later on in life decide their preferred gender when they're older. Children who are too young to know what a puberty blocker is being directed by adults into renouncing the sex that they were born as, that was decided at conception, and public libraries using tax pounds to have young children hear stories read by men dressed as women. We're living in a time of madness. And modern society is buying it all. I don't know why you watch any of those soap operas. Please don't. Aren't they full of it? They're indoctrinating the masses to accept this foolishness. Political correctness dictates that when you sign a form for someone's marriage certificate the schedule of marriage no longer states bride and groom but or mother and father on the on the marriage but parent one and parent two bride and groom replaced by the wedding couple ladies and gentlemen no longer a term of respect I think we need to look at these ethical issues in society and we need to see what we're to do about it. Let's move on and look at science and transgenderism. I've already said I'm not a biologist, but did you notice during the COVID lockdowns, the mantra of the COVID lockdown people was follow the science, wasn't it? You heard that all the time. You have to follow the science. We're just following the science here. That's why you're doing your social distancing. And you're just following the science. That's why you have to wear your mask. And that's, the science was everything. But when it comes to transgenderism, isn't it strange that the science doesn't get followed? Because transgenderism requires a complete denial of biology. And the last time I checked, biology was still a science. And think about the branches of science where transsexualism, transgenderism causes a conflict. Transgenderism and the science of anatomy. There's no transgender gene. 
physiologically and psychologically, men and women are different. I wonder, have you noticed? Somebody once wrote a book entitled Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. We're from different planets. The implication is that we're poles apart. Of course we are. Our physical makeup is different. Our brains work differently. You know, men could never find things in cupboards. And women, and I'm probably going to get told off for this afterwards, women can't read maps. <laughs> At least any that I know can't. The male body has a greater bone mass. It has a bigger capacity to oxygenate itself. And there's difference differences in the chromosome structure. Women have a genetic code that consists of two X chromosomes. Men have a genetic structure that differs with an XY code. Transgenderism doesn't fit with anatomy and the science of pathology. Even if a man dresses as a woman and calls himself by a woman's name and has hormonal treatment and has surgery so that he can adjust his physical appearance to be more like a woman's and he dies and is buried and 500 years later an archaeologist discovers his bones, he'll be declared to be a man, not a woman. And psychiatry? In 2015, a Dr. Paul McHugh, who was the former psychiatrist-in-chief for Johns Hopkins Hospital and was its Distinguished Service Professor of Psychiatry, wrote in the Wall Street Journal, I've given links to this, Transgenderism is a mental disorder that merits treatment. Sex change is biologically impossible. And the people who promote sexual reassignment surgery are collaborating with and promoting a mental disorder. Top psychiatrist. Up until 2015, it was standard medical and psychiatric understanding at that time. <clears throat> I just wonder if he or one of his colleagues would have the nerve to write that nowadays. Incidentally, the same distinguished professor also conducted research that showed that the suicide rate among transgendered people at that time was 20% higher than average. That's important because the risk of suicide is frequently used as an emotional weapon by those who don't want you to, tra to question their gender identity or sexual orientation. You'd have heard them say you Christians, your hurtful remarks, calling people sinners, telling them their lifestyle is an abomination. Is it any wonder young people are committing suicide? In fact, their suicide rate is 20%, according to this professor, 20% higher than average among people who have actually transgendered. And moving from psychology, from psychiatry to psychology, for one of the most pernicious aspects of the transgender agenda is that parents, usually a mother, sadly, will decide that their little child is displaying simple symptoms of what they call gender dysphoria. Perhaps their little boy's being a wee bit girlish. Maybe he's playing with girls. Maybe he likes a wee doll. Whatever. 
little boys and girls as young as five, being encouraged to think they're not living in the correct body. They're too young to decide what time they went to go to bed, but they're allowed to decide what gender they identify with. And they're taking them, taken along to a doctor, to a clinic, and they're dressed up as the opposite sex, and they're given what they call gender-appropriate toys, and they get a new name, and their school teachers are forced by law to go along with this charade, and when puberty arrives, they're given puberty-blocking hormones, and later on, they'll get body-mutilating surgery to remove the outward physical evidence of their natal sex. Here's a story I read. A thread on Twitter posted by someone calling herself Athena. Here's her story. At 15 years old, I told my parents I thought I might be trans, and I was referred to a psychologist. At 16 years old, after only five months of therapy, I underwent a double mastectomy for gender dysphoria. I started hormones after the surgery. But none of that was enough for me. I still felt incomplete and desperate. At 17 years old, I had implants put in my face to make me appear more masculine. But at 19, I detransitioned, came back. I had my facial implants removed. I stopped having testosterone. And I now deal with horrible health issues. I have my breast reconstruction surgery this month and I'm hoping to move forward in life and continue advocating for children and other detrans people. After my transition, I'm left with immense scarring, with countless health issues, with nerve damage, with personal infertility. I'm autistic and had trauma previous to my transition. My doctors and my psychologists were all informed of this, but still chose to tell my parents and myself that without transitioning, I would end up committing suicide. Basically, she was forced to mutilate her body by her parents and professionals. Glenn Staunton of Focus on the Family wrote an article last year in the Federalist, the Federalist, in which he notes that the largest and oldest clinic worldwide dealing with gender dysphoria does not recommend prepubescent children treatment of the disorder. He writes in 2012, an article published in the Journal of Homosexuality and later reprinted in the medical text Treating Transgender Children and Adolescents, an interdisciplinary approach. He explains because most gender, gender dysphoric children will not remain gender dysphoric through adolescence, we recommend that young children not yet make a complete social transition, i.e. different clothing, different name, referring to a boy as her instead of him before the very early stages of puberty. Leading Dutch scholars warning against the kind of actions 
that that girl, Athena, had gone through. Clearly, I do not encourage treating children for prepubescent gender dysphoria. Let's move on quickly. What's the biblical teaching? Well, you'll know fine rightly that the biblical position on gender is there are and gender is that there are only two genders. There is male and female. We read it. And God made them that way. We don't get to choose. In Genesis 1 and 2, God made creation out of nothing. And the peak of that creation was mankind, made especially to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So he created us in his own image. In Genesis 1 and 26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female He created them. Now that's very important. That first mention of God creating us male and female in his image. Our male and femaleness, our male and female gender is reflective of God's image. Taken together as men and women, we are in this very first mention in the Bible declared to be in the image of God. That must indicate to us as Christians the importance of the male-female binary. And he created us that way for a reason. He created us to complement each other. Have you noticed that in creation, the picture seen in the first two chapters of Genesis is one where divinely orchestrated binaries are fixed. Intentionally, intentional blessings for the benefit of creation and mankind. Look at what we have. We have heaven and earth, a binary. We have night and we have day, a binary. We have land and sea. We have male and female, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
And they were both naked, the man and his wife. They were not ashamed. Now all of that is God's plan. That is God's design for humanity. Our bodies, as God created them, male and female in the image of God, our bodies are good. God looked at his creation and he declared it to be good. Our bodies are not what the Greeks and the Gnostics believed. If you think back to Greek, the Greek understanding of the nature of the body and soul, there's a dualism. The, the soul is seen to be good and the body is seen to be a prison from which the soul needs to escape. There's nothing of that in the Bible. Or as the pagan religions believed, that we are mere moving corpses, that we are fit only to be mutilated in the worship of some pagan deity demanding sacrifice, whether that's child sacrifice in the case of Molech or adult mutilation, such as the prophets of Baal who danced around the altar in Elijah's day and mutilated and cut their bodies, removed parts of their flesh in order to try and please the pagan god they were worshipping. David said to me before the service started tonight what I thought of the theory that abortion is linked and similar to the sacrifice of children to the false god Molech. And I said, I think that's a good analogy. I'm telling you now, I also think that transgenderism is very similar to the worship of Baal, the mutilation of the human body to please a false god. Christianity and biblical Christianity, God values our human body. And he values it so much that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, took upon himself human flesh and became a man with male distinctiveness honouring humanity. And his body was mutilated for us at the cross. So ours doesn't have to be. His body was broken and marred and wounded and mutilated and put to death for me and for you, and we never need to mutilate our bodies to find purpose and satisfaction and salvation and victory in Christ. One of the marvelous things about our Christian faith is that as Christian believers, we look forward to the resurrection. There will be a day 
because Jesus rose from the dead, guaranteeing that in him we too will rise. There will be a day on that last day when the trumpet shall sound and we shall rise to be with the Lord and we will rise with physical bodies from the grave to live with him in God's presence forever and ever in the new heaven and the new earth are bodies made like unto his glorious resurrected body and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit the dwelling place of the third person of the Trinity God the Holy Ghost and because he dwells in us we are being made holy our spiritual journey is a journey into God's holiness his wholeness to be holy as he is holy to one day be made perfect in glory God created us in his image as man and woman he created us it is his plan it is his design he values our body our human body so much that he gave his own son to be a human being in a physical body to die on a cross for us And there's much, much more. Because each of those subjects, the science, the ethics, the biblical response, you could do a lecture on each one of those and only skim the surface. As Christians, how do we communicate with the modern generation with its transgender ideology. Look, as believers, we don't deny that there are people in this world who are suffering and who are hurting. Sin hurts. And every one of us are sinners. And the sinfulness of mankind causes pain and misery and sickness and death and it has done so from Genesis chapter 3 and it will do so until Christ returns and there are people in this earth in our society who genuinely believe whether because they've been told it, because they've been influenced by the media because they've been influenced by the philosophies of their parents they believe that for some reason they have been born into the wrong body and the answer to that is not to adjust their body to make it conform with their broken minds but to deal with their broken minds and lives like that eminent psychologist said back in 2015 gender dysphoria is a mental disorder we would say it's the result of the fall and it needs to be treated as such you know there's a similar disorder 
There's a disorder where a sufferer thinks they're born into the wrong body and believes that, genuinely believes with all their heart, that he or she is a disabled amputee living in an able-bodied body. And that person needs serious help. Not to have a healthy arm or leg amputated, but to deal with the root of their problem. How much worse then to physically mutilate a person by removing reproductive organs when what that person really needs is spiritual help. So one of the barriers to communicating with any transgendered person or person of any a person with a sexual orientation difference, to choose the words right there, is that there could be a barrier because our national parliament is trying its hardest to introduce a ban on what they have called conversion therapy. Last week, the UK Parliament done a double U-turn. It had proposed a ban on so-called conversion therapy, defined as an attempt to change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity by converting them and using various methods. A very broad definition. And when the bill is brought to Parliament, it will, if it passes, criminalise a lot of what takes place in personal evangelism. The application of the law of God, prayer for the conviction of sin. For example, the Christian Institute points out, Jesus told the woman caught in adultery to go and sin no more. But if you say the same thing under this law to a practicing homosexual, you could be breaking the plant new conversion therapy law. And that won't apply just to those who are homosexuals. Sadly. Some people wanted to apply to transsexuals as well. If an unhappy, hormonally confused teenager watching the media and maybe videos and some of the new media channels, confused now about their gender identity, and that person were to come to his or her pastor and express anxiety about that identity, that pastor under that law, if it is passed, will be forbidden from giving that little, that child, that teenager, whatever, proper biblical advice and counsel. Even if that person is simply struggling with feelings that they don't want, even if they're simply looking for guidance, These bans will prohibit doctors and pastors and even parents from affirming that a child's objective bodily anatomy is the basis of their sexual orientation and their gender identity. But at the same time, they will encourage treatments that attempt to change a child's physical appearance to align with their subjective feelings. For example, a regular injection of puberty-blocking hormones or surgical removal of unwanted body parts. So these conversion therapy bans, if passed, would prohibit ordinary, simple conversations about what the Bible says about human sexuality while giving the green light for boys to convert to girls and girls to convert to boys 
That's the kind of conversion therapy should be banned. But then I suppose, like many Christians, I simply believe that the real objective of the legislation that's being proposed is to normalize homosexuality, transgenderism, stifle debate and discussion. So it's important for Christians to be clear about the nature of conversion. Christian conversion is not the product of therapy. Never. Here's the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 33, question yet. Can't be question yet, can it? Must have put the wrong reference in there. Here's the question. What is a true repentance? What is true repentance of or conversion of man? And the answer is, it is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. That doesn't happen through therapy. That radical inward change is not achieved by good advice. It's not achieved by the administration of drugs or non-clinical therapies. It's not achieved by some man at the front of a church calling you up and attempting to shake the demons out of you. None of those things. That is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. Quickening and regenerating the soul in response to the word of God. The Bible is always our bottom line in any ethical issue. It's the inspired and infallible word of God. It contains the answer to every moral and ethical issue, and it must be applied to every life. Um, I had quoted earlier on, or said I got great help from Andrew Walker's book, And Walker says here, a Christian worldview informed by the Bible can fully explain why people experience feelings of gender dysphoria. The Christian worldview is one that acknowledges that creation has been disrupted and is not the way it once was, nor how it will eventually be in the new creation. The transgender debate questions whether men and women, mums and dads, are really real erasing the biological significance of our maleness and femaleness is destroying the script that God knit into human existence for how the sexes interact with one another and how children know the difference between a mother and a father. Christians, when dealing with all of these issues, and especially this one, we need to be passionate about truth and compassionate toward fallen sinners. Time's almost gone. I want to deal with one final issue. And I want to ask a question. Can you be transgender and still be a Christian? Difficult one, isn't it? Because if a person repents of their sins, there's no sin that's unforgivable except, of course, rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus makes it very clear in his response to the Pharisees in that passage that we read that God created us in his image to glorify him as male and female. And that's the basis of all human relationships. That's God's plan for man. Everything else is brokenness and sinfulness. So the person who is 
A sinner must repent of their sin and turn their back on it and live for Christ and not for themselves. It's why Jesus died at the cross, so that broken, sinful men can be forgiven and have a new life. And in that new life, God's purpose is restored. The reason that I was rewriting this talk at six o'clock this evening is because today I read an article in an online edition of The Critic. It's not a Christian magazine. But there the author, Matthew Roberts, was reporting on a letter sent to Boris Johnson by two prominent Christians. Not his words or mine. The two prominent Christians in question are the Reverend Steve Chuck and the very, very right Reverend Ronan Williams, and, and you know, the funny thing about these iPads is that they correct words they don't understand. You know, that autocorrect thing. And it has changed the word Ronan Williams to Roman Williams. I think there could be something in that. <laughs> Maybe Apple knows more than I do. But they've written a letter, according to the critic. You can look it up online. They've written a letter urging Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, to include transsexualism in his proposed gay conversion therapy ban. These are two prominent clergymen, men, apparently. Now listen to what they wrote in their letter to Boris Johnson. Listen carefully. They write, To be trans is to enter a sacred journey of becoming whole, precious, honoured, and loved by yourself and by others and by God. There you have it, right there. To be trans is a sacred journey, a religion. And as Matthew Roberts points out in his article, If it's a religion, it's not Christianity. Because transgenderism's journey is following the heart. It's following the mind. Remember I talked earlier on about that dualism between body and mind that was the heart of Gnostic Greek thought. Transgenderism's journey is following the heart. And what does the Bible tell us about the heart? The sinful, polluted heart that is in, in its unregenerate nature is in rebellion against God. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And here's some poor teenager influenced by what's going on around them, being told to follow their heart, their sinful, polluted heart. They're making themselves their God. I think for Chuck and Williams, God is ego. God is who I want to be. God is the self, and self is God, and self must be obeyed. And Christianity, of course, is the very direct opposite of that. Because Jesus told us, taught his followers, that we are to deny ourselves, didn't he? 
and that we are to take up our cross, a painful, rugged cross. A cross, even if it conflicts greatly with the desires of my heart, and we're to carry it, and we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Transgenderism, according to these prominent clergymen, is a spiritual journey. And as such, it's a false religion. It's a religion where the heart of man has been enthroned in the place that is rightly demanded by our Creator. Transgenderism is one of the most awful outworkings of the warning of Proverbs 14. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.